Galatians chapter 2. Do you guys like this painting that Neil did this week? It's awesome. Yeah. Today, we're going to look at the, we're going to focus our time. We're still in the, the Life of Faith series, but we're going to stop for a second and then make sure that we know the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that it's of first importance that Christ died and he rose again. That is the gospel. And that is what we need to keep central. Amen? And so that picture is depicting the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, oh man, I can't. It's just like the, the, the raddest scene in the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Conquered sin, the enemy, and death. And he rose from the grave. Now, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. This is where we'll start today. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you that the wrath that was due in part to our sin and rebellion was poured out on your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gospel that makes us alive. We thank you that it's the power, it's your power. It is the power of God. Thank you, Lord, that you saved us. We pray that Jesus would be glorified and made wonderful and huge and beautiful in our hearts. We submit to your word we ask, God, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that, Lord, if our eyes are on other things, that you'd get them on Jesus, Lord. Help us, Lord. Our hearts are so prone to wander. Our eyes are so prone to wander. Would you fix them again on the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, for your glory? Would you use me today, Lord, to ask that you would... Um, Use the words that come from my mouth and anoint me, Lord. I need your power, God. It's a huge thing to stand before people and talk about your word and preach Jesus. And so I pray that you would empower me, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. For the furtherance of your kingdom, for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, the author of Hebrews, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for 11 weeks. We're kind of right in the middle, right after chapter 10. The author of Hebrews is discussing the just shall live by faith. And then in chapter 11, he gives illustrations of what, is, what does it look like that the just live by faith? And so he, he gives illustrations on how to put things into practice. I don't know if you've ever like, built anything from Ikea. Have ever put anything together from Ikea? And they don't even have instructions, like verbal or written instructions, just pictures of a guy holding like a hammer and a screwdriver just... You know, and like this goes here and, and everything comes in like small boxes and it opens up and there's parts everywhere and you just have illustrations of a little man putting together this giant armoire or whatever it is. And so that's what Hebrews 11 is. It's like, okay, the just shall live by faith. Yes, amen. What does that look like? And so he unpacks what this looks like, gives us little pictures and illustrations. And we're about halfway through it. We've seen Abel was faith worshiping and Enoch was faith working and Noah was faith, or sorry, Enoch was faith walking, Noah was faith working, and Abraham was faith willing. So we've seen these, this progression of, of what it is to have faith in God and what it looks like. All of these are examples of what our faith is like, but 
what all of these characters have in common was who their faith was in. We have to understand that. And we've pointed to that at the very beginning of the faith series. Britt was saying that we can't have faith in faith. We can't just have faith in this ethereal thing. Like, I just have faith. I got to have faith. Faith in what? All of these characters had faith in God. Now, it's biblical and right to look at what faith is like. But we're going to stop right now in the middle of our series and look at and be reminded of who our faith is in. And not just who our faith is in at the beginning of our acts of faith. Because a lot of us, we, we normally step out in faith going, I'm obeying God and I'm going to step out in faith and do this thing. But I don't know if you're like me, but when we step out in faith, it's so easy to get our eyes now focused on our act of faith or us being obedient or us doing what we're doing. And we kind of lose sight that it has to remain, our faith needs to remain in Jesus, and that's hard to do. So we'll look at today the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, or said differently, faith in Jesus. That's what we're looking at today, faith in Jesus. Now, we can't simply assume this. We're going, okay, we're in church. We know that our faith has to be in Jesus. We can't just assume this. It's good to be reminded. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, and his chapters on faith, he says that living by faith needs to happen. Two things need to happen when you live by faith. Number one, you need to understand that your moods change, that there's sometimes you don't feel like having faith, right? We all can attest to that. Like, I don't feel like believing today. It's not in the mood to believe. He's like, you have to recognize that you ha- you're going to have moments in your life where you don't feel like believing. But he said the second thing, you must be reminded of the main doctor- doctrines, must be held deliberately in your mind. You have to be reminded of, the- of them over and over again, what we believe in. And we believe in Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that through this little vignette here in Galatians chapter 2. Let's start at verse 11. Now Galatians... We all know that Paul wrote this book kind of correcting some false doctrine that was permeating the church, that was infiltrating the church. They believed in grace, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these other people came right, right after Paul left and planted the church. They came in saying, yeah, you are a Christian, but Jesus was a Jew, and you have to be a Jew as well. And so they were adding on to the gospel. And so Paul writes this sometimes, some parts of it get real heated, because these are his people, like feels like this is his family. He birthed this church. He's getting real heated that people are trying to add to the gospel. So he shares this little story in chapter 2 about when he had to rebuke Peter. Peter, you know, upon this rock. Remember Jesus said, uh, uh, not, not upon Peter, he'll build this church. But he's like, Peter, you're going to testify that I'm going to build this church. And Peter was used to establish the church right after Pentecost. So verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him, Paul says, Peter, to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, and the rest of the Jews who played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Peter showed up to Antioch, and we remember that Antioch was Paul's like missionary base. Uh, Barnabas started, uh, went there from Jerusalem to, to help start Antioch, and then he brings in Paul to come and teach and preach in Antioch, and Paul used that as a missionary base. So Peter comes to visit the church in Antioch, and when he saw the Jews and the Gentiles sharing unkosher meals together, Peter jumped right in. He's like having meals and, and sharing the gospel and loving, loving everyone in this church that were Jew and Gentile eating unkosher meals together. And then if you remember Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, where he, we'll look at it in a second. 
So Peter knew that, that God had adopted and brought in the Gentiles, and he started eating with them. But there were some Jews that came from Jerusalem, and their names were the circumcision. Now, a bad name for a group. Don't name your group or your crew, or if you're looking for like a name for a group, don't. That's not a really good name. But he says, of the circumcision, they come in, and Peter began to withdraw and eat with them. Now, this Greek verb tense implies that it was like a gradual process. So these people from Jerusalem started coming down of the circumcision, and then Peter would slowly like not eat with the Gentiles, like, oh yeah, Gentiles. And he would stop eating like, you know, bacon cheeseburgers or whatever. And he's like moving slowly, gradually until finally he's not eating with the Gentiles at all. And there were like two tables. There was a Jew table and a Gentile table. And so this obviously also led to other Jews that were there slowly slipping away. So where Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was now at the Jew table going, I don't know what he was doing. Like, what, I don't know what's going on. There's segregation. I don't know what's going on. This, this is the church that Jew and Gentile were there. We're all eating together, and now I can't, I can't eat you know, bacon anymore, and now I have to eat on this table. And it got really weird. And so, so verse 14, Paul rebukes him. He says, but I saw that they were not, this is awesome, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, in front of everyone, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles being kind of ironic because at the very beginning he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, Paul rebukes Peter with Peter's action with two points. He brings up two things about what Peter is doing. The first thing is this. His actions were undermining the gospel. What he was doing was undermining the gospel. Paul wanted to keep the gospel central. You have to remember the gospel, that we're saved by grace, not by works, that we walk and we look at Jesus continually. Now, Peter's actions at the beginning of his visit, it, visit reflected the gospel. He's eating with Jew. He's eating with Gentile. He's eating with everyone. He's eating, he, he's eating unkosher meals. It's reflecting that Jesus died and he paid the penalty and he tore down the wall of separation, as Ephesians said, between Jew and Gentile. But he had drifted from faith in Christ alone to this sort of hypocrisy and what Peter was doing was hypocrisy. Happily eating with the Gentiles at first and then making them obey dietary laws when people from Jerusalem came. The second thing that, that Paul said to him was his actions were falling back into religion. His actions at the very beginning that were based on the gospel were now falling into religion. Paul was re, or Peter was reflecting to the Gentiles and reverting back to a works-based righteousness. Now, one of the basic insights of Martin Luther when he wrote was this, religion is the basic default mode of the human heart. Religion is the basic default mo mode of the human heart. Christians, you and me, who know the gospel in principle and have been saved by it, continually revert to religion and a works-based righteousness. Even in our acts of faith, where at first our act of faith was simply following Jesus. We're following Jesus. God has called us to, to do this, and we're doing it. And then somewhere along the line, it could be two weeks later, a month later, a year later, we start to fall in this works-based, well, I have to do this. Well, I have to do that. I have to do it for God. And, and it gets, falls into this work-based thing. We see this vividly through Peter here. In all reality, we can say that Peter, on arrival to Antioch, was living a life of faith. Remember Acts? Turn to Acts chapter 10. Keep your hand here in Galatians, but turn to Acts real quick. Acts chapter 10, he's on uh, the roof of Simon the Tanner. 
who tan leather, not himself. And, and he's on the roof, verse 9. So the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went on top of the roof housetop to pray. It was the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made it ready, he fell into a trance, or he fell like into a, a sleep. Or, and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound four corners, descending to him, let down to earth. There were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. It's interesting. This is the third time Peter just says no to God. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Sounds totally like Peter. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you shall not call common. Well, while this is going on, this vision, Cornelius has a vision, who is a Gentile centurion, and he sends a, 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 a troop of people to go get Peter, because that's what God had gave him a vision to do. And so after this vision happens... These people are at the door, and then Peter realizes what went on here. They were going, hey, we need, God told us to come get you. You need to come to a house of our, our, our master, um, Cornelius, and he's a Gentile. Look at verse um, 28. This is what Peter responded. This is how Peter responded. He got the vision. He understood what it meant. And this took a lot of faith, too. And he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or go with one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I mean, that was going against centuries and years of tradition and teaching. And he had a vision, and by faith, he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe God, and I'm going to go to this house. And he gets to the house, and look at verse 34, and this is what Peter said when he got to the house. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And then he starts to preach the gospel to them, how Jesus died, and he rose from the dead, and he didn't even get to the altar call, and the Holy Spirit fell, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they started to speak in tongues. He didn't even get to the altar call. He's like, wait, I haven't got to the, the point where I'm asking you forward yet. And the Holy Spirit falls and they start to, to worship God and, and to pray in tongues. And then the Jerusalem council calls Peter up going, you need to explain your actions. The Gentiles are brought into the church. What is going on? And Peter, in faith, defends what God did. He defends it. it says there in verse 17 of chapter 11, he says, I gave the same... Therefore, God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? God did this. He gave the gospel to the Gentiles. And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Peter, when he showed up in Antioch, was totally walking by faith. The Lord showed him that the Gentiles are brought in. The gospel is for everyone who believes. And it took a great act of faith to trust God and go against 100 years of Jewish tradition and customs. Then he strolls up to Antioch and he eats with the Gentile believers, and then he slowly slips back into religion. Luther goes on to say, even after you are converted by the gospel, your heart will, would go back to operating on religious principle unless you deliberately, repeatedly set it to gospel mode. Your heart and my heart want to go right back to religion unless we continue to set our hearts in gospel mode. Now, by the grace of God, God uses Paul to slap Peter and set his heart back on the gospel. Look at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 2. 
So this is, this is Paul used by God to like, set your heart to gospel mode, Peter. Knowing, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. Get your heart and your mind and your faith in Jesus. We have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. We are not made right by the works of the law. The works of the law basically is any human effort to be right before God. Three times Paul says, you're made right and you stay right before God by faith in Jesus. That word there in verse 16, faith and believed, come from the same Greek word family. And the, the, the redundancy is purposeful here. He says basically faith in Christ Jesus, even if we have faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. He continues to say it over and over again. And the reason this is, is because faith in Jesus is the antithesis of human effort. It's the exact opposite. We have faith in Jesus and we let go of human striving and effort. This verse is Paul setting Peter's heart to gospel mode. Now, Peter was not in step. It's literally in step with the gospel here. Now, we all understand that saving faith is believing in Christ. But what about remaining faith? How about, how about we, when we keep our eyes on Jesus? The gospel is not something you believe at conversion and then you move on from. I have believed, therefore I'm saved through faith is what we say, but we have to keep believing. Now, a lot of us think where we go eventually is I've been saved by faith. I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But now I have to do things for God. I have to do things. That's not the gospel. That's not faith, really. A couple things what faith is not. I want you to understand this. This is because I think it, and I'm speaking here out of um, kind of exposing my, my heart a little bit because I have a tendency to get, I think everyone kind of does, where our hearts flip from gospel mode to like I have to do things mode. So let me explain a couple things what faith is not. Number one, faith is not an attempt in earning the favor of God. Now, we all know that in theory, like, oh, yeah, of course. That's, that's yeah, totally. That's easy to understand. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. We step out in faith in order to get things from God. That's what this is saying. I step out in faith so I can get things from God. This is an aspect of the default mode of the human heart. No one would really admit this. But I think this attitude is put to the test when you and I, we step out in faith and then things and circumstances, they go terribly wrong. Have you ever had that happen? Like, I am going to step out in faith and I'm going to do this thing, Lord. You've called me to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to do this. And you do it and everything goes bad. Where is your heart when things go bad? Where your heart is reveals a lot of your motivation in taking the step of faith. When circumstances go wrong, we have the tendency to either blame God or blame self. And that right there will kind of is, is a litmus test on when you stepped out in faith, why were you stepping out in faith? I was stepping out in faith because God told me to, but when things go wrong, what happens to your heart? We blame God. 
It's one of the things that we do. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Probably the only one in this whole room that's ever blamed God. But you're, you step out in faith and you, you say something like, I gave it all up for you and then this happens? Lord, I mean, I gave, I, I took a step of faith. I, I, put, I stuck my neck out there and then this happens? Basically what we're saying is, you owe me, God. I did this for you, you owe me. That's not the gospel. Or we have a tendency to blame self. We step out in faith, things go wrong, and we're going, I just probably not reading enough. I missed my, I only did two of the three chapters of our reading this morning. It's totally me. I didn't, I didn't pray. I should have prayed for that person that I was, I didn't pray enough. I only, you know, a couple hours was all I got in today. And, and we blame self. And we say, why thee or why me? That's what we end up doing. Like, why, God? Why? I did this for you. And why did this happen to me? Or we blame ourselves. When we heard the, the voice of God leading us to Carp, one of the things that God told us when we lived in Bakersfield was, I'm not, and this is the way the Lord kind of spoke to us, I'm not going to send you anywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you somewhere. I'm going to have you follow me somewhere. Because kind of, you know, I'm, if you get to know me, I, I get kind of weird sometimes when that kind of, like, I'm going to do that. I don't know if I can. I, I don't know. I, I, and I get, the thing that I know that I, I struggle with the mo- most is fear. And I'll get paralyzed by fear. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Where you don't want to move. You're like, I'm staying here. I'm not moving at all. I'm paralyzed. And it's happened several times, especially huge things that come up in my life from marriage to, with my wife to moving here. It's like, I get paralyzed. And I'm like, okay, don't move. No one move. Don't ask me anything. No questions. What do you want for dinner? Don't ask me. I don't know. I just need to stop. And, uh, and, and you get paralyzed in fear. And so when the Lord, when we moved here to, to Carp, God was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you follow me there, okay? I'm like, okay, I could, I could do that. I could, don't, just don't send me anywhere. I'll just follow you. Just tell me where to go. I'll just walk with you. So when the Lord said, move to Carp, now, a lot of you guys know this, um, the, the way that, that church birthing or planting works here at this church, it's a long process. It's, and the first year, they say, you move here and you get a job and you don't work at a church, and so do you get a job by faith? You move here and you get a job by faith. I'm like, okay. Like, what am I going to do? I, I've, I worked, I was on staff at a church right out of high school. Worked in a church for, served at a church for 11 years, over 11 years at a church. Like, I, I've never had a real job. <laughs> so, I mean, well, real, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And so... And so I'm like, what am I going to do? And I remember meeting with G and Britt, and G just looked at me like, so what are we going to do? I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know. He's, he's like, so where are you going to work? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. And so I, we move here, and I get a job at a bank. Now, it's funny because I don't like money or numbers or ties or tucking in my shirt. <laughs> I like, last time I tucked in my shirt was like fourth grade, you know, pictures for school. It's like, how do you, is there a manual on how you tuck your shirt in, take a tie, you know, wear a tie? Like, I, I didn't have any idea. And the, my friends that I told, like, yeah, I got a job at a bank, they're like, that's going to be really fun to see you <laughs> at a bank. And I was kind of stoked. I'm like, yeah, a bank, you use money, and I give money to, I can talk to people all day. And so I move here, and I'm, this is in my mind. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm selling everything in Bakersfield, everything, I'm giving it all up. My whole life, I'm giving up. And I'll get a job at a bank, and it'll probably happen like Joseph, right, Lord? Like, I'll probably work my way up like two months and be like ba- branch manager, and then I'll just be running the bank. Um, right, Lord? I mean, that's what, it's biblical. 
like work, you, you know, and I'm, I'm counting money. Like, Dave, you're doing so good here. Just take that desk. I'm like, okay, you know, and I, in my mind, that's kind of what we think happens when we take a step of faith. You're like, I take a step of faith and God's just going to bless it. Where God guides, God provides. It'll be awesome. I get there. I work there. And it's really hard. I don't know how to count money. And then after working there, a week and a half before Christmas, I get fired. Okay, not laid off, fired. I take a step of faith, I give up everything, and then I work at a bank and I'm thinking, I'm just gonna work my way, it's gonna be awesome, just a couple years, I'll fly by, and then I get fired. I just couldn't count the money. They gave me a check for 38 bucks and I, I tried so hard. I'm like, okay, just 20, 30. And, and then I would give people more on accident. I had a, a, people would line up and like, no, I'm waiting for that guy right there. It, was, it happened, really. And I thought like, oh yeah, this must be nice and stuff. And I, and I, I tried real hard. I'm like, and then I get fired, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I thought, I thought I would be, like, promoted. <laughs> and, like, everything, Lord, that I set my hand to, right, you're going to bless? And then you start to think, Lord, why? And, you, and, you, and, I didn't, and it was a great temptation. Sometimes I won the battle. Sometimes I lost. I'd be going, Lord, why? I, I really, I gave this everything up, and, and now I get fired from bank. Or I go, I must not have prayed enough. I must not have heard God. Or what pops in your mind is maybe I was never supposed to move here. That is so religious. That, that when people step out in faith and things don't happen the way they planned and you think, well, maybe God just didn't want me to come. It's so religious. It is like God is punishing you because enough of the wrath didn't fall on Jesus. It's like, yeah, all the wrath fell on Jesus, but... I'm going to pour a little bit on you because you didn't listen to me. Discipline is for sure. God does use discipline, but he uses it for our character because he loves us. And so there was times when I'm like, Lord, why? I did all, the, why this? That's not the gospel. Now, if you remember, we just studied Abraham. There he is over there. Abraham last week. You remember what happened to Abraham when he was called to leave his homeland and he moved into Canaan? What happened? What was the first thing that happened? Famine. Read it. He moves to Canaan, the land that's going to eventually flow with milk and honey. He moves to Canaan and there's a famine. It's like, look, obviously you didn't. I, would, I wouldn't hear from you because if you would have let, let us here to Canaan, it would have been just like flowing with good stuff, right? A famine. There are certain things God does when we're taking steps of faith that he uses for our shaping and molding. When our acts of faith are in Christ, though, and are centered on the gospel, then when circumstances go wrong in my life, I struggle, but I know that all the wrath of God and my punishment fell on Jesus. And I know God allows these things to happen in my life for my character, my perseverance, my training, my discipline, and so I can comfort and minister to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But I know he will exercise his fatherly love within my trials. That's a gospel-centered faith. 
That is a faith that goes, I keep looking to Jesus. He died for me. He paid all the price for my sin. And though he might be disciplining me or, or, or training me, it's for my perseverance. That's what every single trial that it talks about in the New Testament, that's what every single trial is for, for your perseverance, for your character, for your hope. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that you would comfort others. That's what it's for. See, God's love for you is absolutely perfect. He doesn't love you anymore according to your merit or your obedience. God loves me the same right now as a pastor than 13 years ago when I was just got out of doing drugs and gave my life to him. He loves me the same. The only thing that's changed over the years is my understanding of his love for me. He loves me perfectly. He loves you perfectly. The Bible says that no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for his friend. He can't love you any greater. He loves you completely. Therefore, our acts of faith are not to gain God's favor, but rather done to delight and enjoy him. That's why we step out in faith. Now, number two, the second thing. Faith is not copying someone else's example of faith. Okay? I think this is, this is something that you're like, okay, I, I don't... I, I have people that disciple me. That's great. That's called discipleship. When I moved here to CARP, and even when I lived in Bakersfield, there were pastors in my life that discipled me, and I, I, I love to, to follow their example of faith. I love to be discipled by them. There's things that I see in other people's life. They're like, I want that. But following their example of faith is not in itself faith. We're all inspired by someone's act of faith, encouraged by examples of faith, but simply doing what they did is not an act of faith. Couple uh, last week we were in San Francisco on our prayer tour, and our prayer tour kind of started. It started out so great and wonderful, and all the interns were praying, and it was just sweet. It was kind of reminded me of probably what the church, what when we have our first service, everyone's going to be there. It's going to be awesome. But then by the end of the week, everyone is gone, and I was there for a week by myself with my wife, taking a class in San Francisco. So it started out great, and then slowly. Saturday, a lot of people left, and then Sunday, people left, and by Monday, I was alone. And then the, rea- the romantic side of planning a church kind of faded really fast, and the reality of, oh my gosh, I'm going to start a church in the city set in. And then I'm going to live in the city set in. Now, we love San Francisco. We cannot wait to be there. But the reality of like, there's 12,000, how many people are in CARP? 14, th- uh, some, I forget. How many? 10,000 people in, in CARP about. And in San Francisco, there's like 10,000 people per apartment building, you know? <laughs> and like, where does everybody park? And where does everybody shop? And where does, where does all these things happen? And that's what that reality set in, in the city. And I'm like, and that started getting, again, that fear kind of set in. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. What am I going to do? Do I just like stand on the corner? Like hand out flyers? Like, hi, come to my church? Like, what do I do? Do I pray? I don't, and so, and then... I got online to listen to uh, the teaching from Sunday because I wasn't there, and it was the life of, of Noah. And oh my gosh, so good, right? You guys were here. So blessed. And there was this one point that just floored me. That point towards the end of the teaching where Britt said, when Noah was out there building the boat for 120 years, that there was no one. 
no one holding his hand, no one praying for him, no one cheering him on, no one helping him, no one holding, holding him accountable, no one leading him, no one showing him how, no one following him. In fact, they probably mocked him, but he kept on task for 120 years. And he said, that is a life of faith. At that moment, I'm like, yes, I could do this. I could keep doing it. I want to be like Noah, God. And I, I mean, I got so excited. Like I could, I could be like Noah. Even if I'm out here for 120 years and no one comes, I'm going to preach the righteousness of God. And I want to be like Noah, and I want to be like Abraham. But God, in his wonderful, loving mercy, said to me right after that, if my faith is not in Jesus, I won't last 120 years, let alone 120 days. If I'm just trying to be like Noah, but my faith is not in Jesus, I will not last. How many of you guys have got inspired to be like somebody, and it lasted for about two days? You watch the Olympics or something, you're like, I'm going to train. I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to go swimming, and I'm going to eat right, and that works for about a week. And we do that with our faith as well. We're like, I'm going to be like Noah, or I'm going to be like, and we do that with, I'm going to be like this pastor, and it lasts for about a week. Our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ. Now, Hebrews 6.12 says, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit promises. Imitate what? Imitate their faith in God. Imitate their patience to wait on God. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Our faith is to be centered on our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. It must stay upon Jesus. Our eyes need to be fixed on him. Now, I'm not talking of a faith that just starts out with Jesus, but one that remains in Jesus. This is the way Paul says it. Look at verse 20 in chapter two. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He no longer lives, but he says, I live the life he lives. I live by faith in the son of God. This life of faith is not one that starts off with believing in Jesus, but one that continues to hope and to believe in Jesus. Notice first that Paul talks about death. He says, I have died to live the life of faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have to die. You know why? Because even our acts of faith can become self-righteous and self-centered sometimes. And Paul says that the self-righteous and self-centered Paul had died. And in his place, Christ now lives. And what does a life of faith look like where Christ is the center and Christ is residing? A Christ living life, life, Christ living in us. What does this look like to be united with Christ? Paul says, the life that I now live right now, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's saying that I trust in Jesus. He is the object of my ongoing life of faith. His word I believe, his glory I seek. To his promises I cling. He is my treasure, my goal, and my motivation. I live by faith in the Son of God. But Paul does not stop there. He says why he has faith in the Son of God. This is huge. Why is his faith centered on Jesus Christ? Look at, at the end of the verse, it says who loved me and gave himself for me because God loved him and gave himself for him. 
Why does Paul live a life of faith in Jesus? Because of the gospel. Our acts of faith are to be motivated by his great love for us, who because we were so bad, he had to die, but because he loved us so much, he was glad to die. Tim Keller says it like this in his book. He says, the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Indeed, instead, I think of myself less. Because he died, Paul said. I died. I don't think of myself anymore. I think of Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the center and the object of our faith. Not performance, not productivity, not progress. Basically, not you. Not you going, it's all about me and what I do for God. No, it's about Jesus and it stays on the person of Jesus. So when we keep our eyes on the gospel of Jesus, we become neither proud nor fearful. I'm preaching to myself right now. Because I have a great tendency when I'm doing really well to go, man, I could do this. I could do this. And when I'm feeling really bad, go, I I can't do this. I can't do this. The gospel frees me of that. The gospel, I'm neither proud nor fearful. It led Paul to pen things such as this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. His eyes were not on his circumstances. They were on Jesus. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, a heart fixed on the object of faith, Jesus. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He has eternity in mind because his eyes are on Jesus. And he says in Acts 20, one of my favorite verses, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God of God. Paul thinks of himself less and the gospel more. The author of Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was to look unto Jesus, the author will go on to say after the, the, the faith chapter. Look unto Jesus, the object of our faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, literally the founder and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's the gospel. Jesus endured the wrath of God and suffered for our sin for seeing the joy of bringing us to God. You were so bad that he had to die, but you were so loved that he was glad to die. He is the object of our faith. And so let's worship the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you poured all of the wrath and all of the judgment on Jesus. Lord, this has implications into our marriage, into how we treat other people. This should free us from fear and from performance. 
Help us, God, because far too often we get our eyes on ourselves. We start great acts of faith only to end in it being about us and not about you. So we want to worship you, Lord. I want to set aside a little extra time to, to seek your face. Thank you that we don't have to scream and yell to get your presence. You promised it to us, Lord, because of what you've done on the cross, that you are with us. And Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're with us, God. Thank you. We want to worship you, Lord. We love you. Thank you. If we need prayer today, the prayer team is over here to your right and my left. And if you're in the overflow room, you could go forward for prayer.